0: You didn't stop. I didn't (laughs) stop.
1: Uh, Good morning, Sarah.
0: Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Sorry,
1: you you wanted to tell me something privately and I had to, my finger was too fast. So are you going to tell, are you going to tell the class? No. (laughs) Well, I'll just, what, are you sure?
0: Yes. Um, How are you doing today on this October 5th or 6th or 7th? Whatever day it is,
1: I think it's I think it's the fifth. Ah uh, good. I just came down from upstate. I just wrote the train. Uh, I'm in my apartment a co- recording not in the studio where we usually record, but because uh, it's kind of dark. I felt like sitting in the light, but now we just just have people screaming on the street. So if you hear some people screaming on the street, it's just New York City friends. Here we are. Um,
0: Girl, we're off to a bad start. I have to offer a correction. okay. <laughs> it's October sixth.
1: Oh, it is. That's right. It is October 6th. And I should have known that because it was my best girlfriend, the other Sarah. I'm sorry, Sarah, you know. Stop bringing I, it up. I'm so sorry. It was her birthday yesterday. She's in London and um, and uh, I, I wished her a happy birthday.
0: Um. Hey, I have something to bring yes. up about October 6th. Yes. I took a walk the other day and Halloween um, decorations are starting to show up around my neighborhood. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little early. How do you feel about this?
1: So I I feel that way definitely when you start seeing like the Easter candy in July, I mean, not July, like uh, February, or um, uh, Matt Welch actually has this great video called Let the Turkey Cool that they recorded a number of years ago with Camille singing. This is when their kids were little, saying it's like the day after Thanksgiving, do we need to have the Christmas stuff up yet? Can we just let the turkey cool? but, but as someone who is born in October, whose daughter is born in October, whose best friends were born in October, whose late ex was born in October, Halloween is in October. I'm totally cool with October just being festive all month. So I'm okay with it.
0: I think they went up on like October 1st. Now I will say this about my neighborhood. My neighborhood goes all in for Halloween, which is one of the best parts of my neighborhood. They are, they're like the, the, you know, all the different houses are kind of trying to outdo each other. Um, it's so great. And right down the street, there is a like a there's these skele- like full size skeletons playing beer pong on the lawn. It's a great oh, display. Well,
1: maybe you can take a picture. and We can post it here for our, for uh, our one person. of these
0: days. I will. I, okay. I will post days. some pictures. Yeah.
1: One of, one of these October days. Um so before we get into our topics, and you know, again, our, our friend Steven Volnyets I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, he said we should tell our listeners at the beginning what we're going to be talking about. We never, ever do that.
0: We but- never do that. We do. We never do right that now. just to defy Steven. But um, you want right. to... Should we say, should we go ahead and give a sneak preview of what we're going to be talking about?
1: I think so. I'm going to just talk very, very quickly about a terrible murder that happened here last week in New York City of Ryan Carson. Just going to touch on that a little. We are going to touch on, um, what is his name, Trevor Bauer, the uh, uh, Major League pitcher who uh, just got through a very difficult i think 2 year or 4 year 3 year ordeal
0: 3 year ordeal yeah and then- um we're going to be talking about savior complex which yeah. is a docu series on HBO about a missionary who goes to Uganda just full of like this oh, this, this this series is, is full of complication and ambiguity and you know like everything it's so it's it's a really good series and then we're going to be talking about uh will what looks like to be really rudy giuliani's drinking problem
1: Yeah, so that felt very awkward to me uh listeners let us know if you enjoyed that because i don't know if we'll ever do it again <laughs> no, so if you book- enjoyed that bookmark that if you enjoyed it it may be the only time it so felt good I, to me i don't really have Well, I mean, I did not know who Ryan Carson was. Ryan Carson was, I believe, a 31 year old, um, sort of social justice activist. worked for a lot of causes. Had for a long time. I guess he. I don't know if he lived here in Brooklyn, but he was walking in Brooklyn the other night uh, in Bed Stuy, four in the morning. He and his girlfriend had come back from a wedding, and they were sort of like waiting at the bus bench and then continue on their way and someone a random person who had been like at the end of the block i think pushing down some mopeds or something some scooters uh they were kind of trying to walk around him and he just lost his shit and just stabbed um he just stabbed Carson who died right I, I don't know if he died right there on the street but he died soon after and this is first of all the murder of anybody is horrible right um but because he was you know, on the left, um, some people uh, on the Twitter machine and I'm sure elsewhere have just um, taken some delight in that, some ghoulish delight, like, oh, yeah, see, <laughs> which I, I almost don't, I, 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 it's almost beneath me to even bring that up because it is so awful. One thing that I've written about a lot when I wrote about the um, situation in Portland, there was only one real cold-blooded murdered in the street in Portland of a guy named Jay Danielson. He was part of a sort of a right Trumpish group of young men that came over from the border in, in Vancouver, um, Washington. I've, I've interviewed different people in that group before. And he was, uh, he was sh- uh, murdered. He was shot to death in the street in cold blood. And that night I, I've posted a video about this before that night, there were activists in the street cheering his death.
0: That's and disgusting.
1: I, I said, I've written this many times. I've like, this is a death cult. If this is what you do, if you think it's okay to murder the other side, then you are a death cult i I just don't see another way around it that's 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 how it is. That's where you will where you're going.
0: This had particular um the story about the activist in Brooklyn had particular thrust because it was captured on a um surveillance camera of some kind, yeah. Um, And so there was video of it. So I logged on to Twitter one day. It was the first thing in my feed. I thought, why am I watching this video of a couple sitting at a bench? And then as it went on, I was like, oh, God, oh, God. And, uh, you know, it was really it was really upsetting. I didn't want to see that. I am and, not, and, going... and it's yeah, the idea that anybody would delight in that is obviously disgusting.
1: I'm I'm not going to put any of their delighted tweets. I'm not going to post the video. It's easily seen, but I'm going. I'm mentioning this for a different reason, besides the fact that it is tragic. Um, so I guess a couple of days later, a GoFundMe was started by his friends and I guess his surviving girlfriend's friends. And it said it was trying to raise $20,000. It's already raised, I just checked a little while ago, it's raised $63,000, which which is what happens. You know, this happens when you, people don't know what to do. They feel moved by it. They want to, but this is, this was their pitch. We are a collective of Ryan's close friends reeling from a brutal loss. We are asking for your help on behalf of his partner in easing the burden and stress of this horrifying situation so that we can have space and time to grieve. And remember, Ryan, immediate needs are to offset the costs of working class people taking time off of work to properly mourn. So I had a slight reaction to that. Um, People can raise money for whatever they want. Absolutely. And if you're in a moment where, you know, this is a national news, I can understand why people would give money for this, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you are on. I guess my, I have a couple of little issues with it, I guess. Um, One is, uh, grieving is such a personal thing right i i you you have to deal with it your own way we've all experienced loss and you know you wake up in the morning you're how how did the sun rise today how is it possible i remember when when tim's dad died I, i was like how is it possible that the sun rose this morning because it doesn't make any sense that we are going to continue going on but we have to go on right i know you walking is one way you do it working is another way you do it um um having drinks or food with friends like there's just a folding a thousand cranes there's just a million ways that people grieve i found it a little i found it a little i don't know maybe it was the language of the activist class but to the the offset the costs of working class people taking time off of work to properly mourn i found that a bit what do you think
0: i don't know as you were reading it you know i'm sitting there going like yeah this is really sad and then when you got to that part it was like what what, wait, what? What now? um Look, I, I, I don't care. I, I, I don't like whatever you want to do. Raise, raise your money. It's not like they're hiding the fact of what they're doing. Um, fine. They can do whatever they want. Do I think it's a little strange? Yeah, but I, I, I have no idea. I don't know what I would do in that case.
1: I, it's, I just when uh, Rachel Abraham, I wrote about her, who was, she was murdered last year. Um, she had six children. And I, her former husband, um, the father of three of her children started a GoFundMe page basically to like offset some funeral costs and to, you know, help with these kids and GoFundMe took it down. And I don't, I never could get to the bottom of why, but maybe because it was an active investigation, but basically they raised a few thousand dollars and it got taken down. And mm-hmm. I just checked today to see just my numbers there. And they, some friends of hers did start a different GoFundMe to raise $5,000 in order to continue building wells, water wells, because this was something that she, Rachel did charitably. And it got a total of $3,000. And I I don't know, it's just like, it just strikes me as, you know, who, where does, where do, look again people can give money to whatever they want and i know we are we have to do something when we feel helpless like it's you know it's hard to not do something but i felt i felt it was um i don't know a little not the way i would i, I would have sent homemade cookies
0: for sure yeah i know start your own GoFundMe, nancy
1: yeah that's right um Uh, okay. So we also wanted to talk a minute, a little bit about, uh, so I wonder, I'm going to take, I'm going to put a 10 second timer here. Okay. Everyone, how many people here listening have heard of Trevor Bauer? Ding, 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 ding.
0: I mean, since I'm the only one listening right now, um, it's a, it's a zero because I had not heard of him. Yeah. Was I supposed to have?
1: Well, I don't know. That's a very interesting question. As journalists, should we have heard about this story?
0: So Yeah, what? I mean, when I started digging into it, I was like, oh, I vaguely remember this because it had some kind of wild claims about um, him there was an allegation that he punched this woman in the face and then there was like real serious choking. And I was like, yeah, this is sounding a little bit familiar, but essentially Trevor Bauer is, uh, he's a, you know, he was a very, uh, like hot, big shot, uh, deal for the Dodgers right the LA he, Dodgers
1: right he was with I can't remember who he was with before the Indians somebody before he was with the Dodgers but he was a major league baseball player he won the Cy Young award which is like the award you get when you're the best pitcher and he was with the Dodgers and in 2020 he was accused by a woman whose name is I just it. Hill. Lindsay Hill of um, choking her raping her and um, potentially out there was there was it she was said to have had a fractured skull So what happened when this happened is that the press, it was, let's remember everyone. It was 2020. Everybody, we were in sort of, we were still in prime me too, but also 2020 COVID. And, and maybe George Floyd because I don't remember, I don't remember the month in which he was accused Trevor
0: Bauer, but. So this is a 2021 incident. Oh,
1: 2021. Why? See, look, see, I'm the bad journalist now. Who's the bad journalist? Me. Um,
0: we have to issue a correction.
1: We're, issue, we're <laughs> issuing it now, though, in real-time, real-time corrections. So he was then uh, suspended, I don't know, 300-and-something games from the Major League, which is basically you're in the peak of your career. You're in the peak of your career as an athlete, and you are now being suspended for two years. What does this do to your career? Okay, like... Are you going to get those years back? You're not, because your body's going to degrade or whatever. It actually then got cut, I think, to 190-something. In the meantime- And then
0: he goes to Japan or something like that. He goes to
1: Japan and plays in Japan. They've got, you know, baseball is huge in Japan. Um, But just last week, I think it was, apparently, or very right before last week, um, the case, basically, the case, okay, this is weird. There never were any charges pressed against Trevor Bauer he never had any criminal charges pressed against him but these rumors had come out and what did the press do they ran with them and I heard Matt Welch talking about this on the fifth column this morning uh basically he was estimating that the LA Times must have run like 10 stories he said it could have been two could have been 10 he doesn't exactly remember basically like you need to get this motherfucker out of here you need to get him off this team. We need to make a stand because we are not going to have these kind How many stories like this have we heard? How many times have we seen videos of athletes, you know, punching their wives in the face in an elevator? How many more terrible stories are we going to stand by and allow this to happen? And so the Dodgers did this and apparently, you know, the Athletic and a lot of other news organizations, this was the story. So he basically was tried in the media. He went and played in Japan. Well, apparently he sued her. He sued Lindsay Hill for saying these things. She countersued. And this week everything was dropped. Nothing is going forward. Nobody owes any money and it's done. And one of the stipulations for him, and I guess for her as well, was we can talk about it. We are allowed to talk about what has been uncovered. And he came out with a pretty, what I thought was a pretty persuasive video. Um, You know, it's, It's about five minutes long. Of course, it's been, you know, he's whoever made it did a good job, but basically saying none of this ever happened. Oh, and by the way, here are some of the texts that she sent to her friend before we had anything happen. First of all, she had been talking about how she knew he was worth $51 million. And she sends a text saying, need daddy to choke me out, being an absolute whore in capital letters, to try to get in on his $51 million. I Okay, so there was that. Uh, do you want to talk about the video? I'm sure I just want to video. say
0: that, like, yeah, there's a lot of jaw-dropping, um, you know, moments in that video, but I will say after I finished it, I sort of had this dislocated feeling of like, wait, when did these, I didn't, they're out of context. Like when did these uh, text messages come in? What are the context around them? They're all, it's all disembodied. Um, It, it was a little bit like, like one of the the points he makes is that, you know, she failed to get a restraining order against him. That is significant because like the bar for restraining orders is not terribly high. Like, and you know, so it, it does look as though the way this thing shook out, there wasn't a case here. Um, but I felt a little bit like, I don't know. I just, I kind of was like more questions. I had more questions after that video.
1: But that's that's exactly what you should have. You yeah. every, every journalist that reported on this story should have those questions. And those were questions they did not ask in a rush to condemn him. Now, apparently, our good friend Ethan Strauss, who we adore, and we go on his show and he comes on our show. So, hi, Ethan. Um, he wrote a great piece about it, talking about the fact that Trevor Bauer was not a well-liked guy. He was not like, you know, he wasn't a, uh, you know, a... Um, Michael Jordan or something he was just I guess sort of like he's MAGA adjacent MAGA adjacent kind of douche bro like he wasn't well liked so people I guess were kind of like poised to not to believe something bad about him and as well as not stand up for him when this happened but of course this was also an era where be careful who you stand up for lest their shame splash onto you right and then you two get you know pulled down in the whole maelstrom so he comes out he makes this video. She responds to it. We just both read a little piece in the New York Post saying like, well, listen, you know, yeah, some of these things, but you have to understand exactly what you're saying. They were out of context. I'm a very sarcastic person. I've dated a lot of baseball players before. And if people know that, and I, when I saw that, I remembered when I was in New Orleans last month reporting, I worked with a photographer who was telling me that her sister, her like, her The thing that she does is she dates baseball players, like she dates yeah, yeah league, yeah. it's a thing. a thing there's a see, thing there's see
0: okay, tell me about this this is I don't so... know that much about it. I just remember I ran a personal essay by somebody that did this at um at salon, and I can't remember. I just remember it's a thing like it's it's, just... it's a deal,
1: yeah, like you're gonna like go to the games and meet people and and be a be a be on the arm of a of a successful best i just I found it as a as a sort of subculture. Yeah, very interesting, actually. When I when I talked to Strzok, I was like, I want to meet her. I want to meet her friends. Who are these people? Where are they going? Yeah, yeah, How yeah. do they do this? Right. But these are the questions we want to ask. So what happened was these questions were not asked, apparently, by journalists when this was going down in real time. They were happy for him to fly away and forget about it. And, and maybe, but apparently he is suing The Athletic because of hmm. some of their reporting. And I, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering her name, a journalist there who tweeted about him, maintaining that he had broken this woman's skull
0: yeah but I think she she deleted that tweet and then he dropped the case
1: okay oh oh yeah I don't know if he, but he I think he is still suing the athletic I'm not sure could be wrong oh. about that but um so it's interesting listening to the fifth column guys Michael and Matt this morning talking about this case it's like how, if you are if you are Trevor Bauer you have now lost two years of your career what does this mean how many endorsements did you pop maybe you wouldn't have gotten any endorsements maybe he would have broken his arm, who the hell knows, but potentially you have lost at the height of your career. You've just won the Cy Young award. You are now excised. I don't know if he's coming back. I don't know if a major league team is going to sign him. He's obviously going to carry this around for a long time, even though he is, has been found as, so far as we know, not culpable. Um, what do, is there an avenue to get some sort of compensation? Like, do you sue The Athletic for running these stories that were not substantiated? He had not gone to court. There had been no deal, due diligence. There had been a rush to judgment that in many ways derailed this person's life. Uh, Michael was suggesting, like, you know, do you sue? Do you sue these people? I don't know. It's an interesting question. We, When we mm-hmm. get things wrong, Sarah, as journalists, like, we really, we really have to do a good job. Like, we have to be really, really careful. And because... We're representing a publication. We're representing ourselves. I, I, I find the fact that so many places were so quick to do this. I find that um, really, really troubling. Really, really, really troubling. I'm not, but I'm not surprised. I'm also not surprised.
0: So one of the fascinating things that comes out in Ethan's um, story, which we'll link to in the episode notes, is this, um, you know, where, after Trevor posts this video, you know, a lot of a lot of news outlets write about it and yet what they almost it's like they wrote around the most fascinating and incendiary part which is that you know potentially you know what he's revealing is that is is evidence that might suggest these were fabricated claims now whether or not now he hasn't he hasn't proven that definitively but he has introduced evidence that is in in fact quite explosive and yet how this gets covered in much of the media is you know after this guy has been dragged through the mud the headline is he settles the case and you know it's gone away and it's like uh that's kind of not what happened like there's a lot of other things happening right um so um i was going to try to get yeah Former MLB pitcher Trevor Bauer and a woman who accused him of beating and sexually assaulting her in 2021 have settled their legal dispute. And it's like, uh, that is true. And yet there's all this other stuff that came out and a lot of places are not mentioning it because it is. And, and, and you know, Ethan makes this interesting point that in the social media age social incentives often override financial incentives in other words newspapers all sorts of journalism gets accused of chasing clicks and and certainly journalists do but in this case the thing that would have been most click worthy which is holy cow this thing that we described as like you know this guy needs to get booted out of the uh, uh, major league baseball is potentially not true gets kind of like excised and we don't we kind of don't mention it and he goes through example after example and it's really quite stunning how they don't want to deal with what is in fact the most fascinating part of the piece now there's a lot of questions still remaining here um one of the things she brings up in her response to it which ran in the New York Post today is you know because there's a video there that she took the morning after and she's looking smug and he's asleep with a eye mask on his face it's a bizarre little thing but it just kind of looks like cat that ate the canary kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we don't know the context of why she took this video but one of the things that was said repeatedly is oh she said she got punched she said she got choked she looks fine well one of the things she says in her own defense is bruises take a while to show up those bruises didn't show up yet now i'm just gonna say i, I don't know what happened but can we agree that that's true?
1: We can agree that that's true. I will also say, as someone who has been beaten up and hit in the face, that after you experience that, you are, most people, she could be superhuman, you are shaky, you are afraid, and you are very unsure, okay? This is not a woman that looks like any of these things. She's smiling, she's doing like little tongue sticking outs or winky winks and she's kind of shows the camera pu- puts the camera toward him and lo- looks back at the camera like haha see I- I'm so I know that yeah, yeah yeah she
0: looks she looks smug but this is not right after it happened this is the morning after and and we would say that she is you know attempt we could argue that she's attempting to normalize look I'm not saying ev- I just don't know is not. And one of the things that I think is so important that Ethan brings up is that we are still existing in an uncertain space. We don't have all the facts yet. And it is so uncomfortable for people. This is true of the Russell Brand situation, right? You know, like all this stuff came out, he's going to make like, but it's like, but we kind of don't quite know yet. Like it is so uncomfortable for people to exist in the morally complicated area of like, this looks to be true, but I'm not sure yet. And it's actually not my place to judge. I know that's like so fully unsatisfying because so much of our media is designed to just kind of elicit, like just knee jerk judgments, just judge, 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 judge. But like the idea that it is actually not our place to do that is nobody wants to hear that, but that I believe that to be true.
1: Well, you just said before, you said it's social capital, right? So they want to, uh, you know, even if they don't know, they want to get the social capital, so they're going to report it. They're going to report that what it kind of, you know, what it kind of looks like. And also they're on the right side of, you know, history or whatever at this point. They're on the right, they're on the right side of the movement. I am, I have to say, I, I always agree with you. We know that you're the nicer half of this podcast, but I am going to call bullshit. On the fact that she had been beaten and potentially had her skull fractured. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, bruises take a little time, but I also, you know, when I was run over by an e-bike recently, I looked pretty bad on the face right after it happened. Did it look worse three days ago, three days later? Yes, it did for sure. My black eye developed, but you don't get punched in the face or punched in the head or have a fractured skull and have basically nothing. Look just like a fresh as a daisy. I, I'm calling bullshit on it. But again, I don't know. Uh, I think there is more to be written here. Um,
0: we'll see. Well, Nancy is happy to ex- to exist in that place of judgment. She's. <laughs> I am. Well, I might be the more nicer person, but you're the more interesting person.
1: Well, um, I, don't, I doubt that. Highly. You know,
0: look. I, 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 here's my my point. Whatever happened, the failure to dig into it, to look at it. To examine it, that's what's really fascinating here. And to kind of, I think, honestly, I think the reason they didn't do it is because those newspapers are afraid. They're afraid of saying anything, like they don't know if Trevor Bauer is, um, if what he said was was true, like if it's a good faith representation of the case. And they're afraid of looking like they're victim blaming. It's It's a big, big fear. And so it just gets not dealt with, and all, that's it's it's um, it's intellectually it's cowardly.
1: It's cowardly, and also it's just we we know this. Whether it's you know the Jesse Smollett or something like this, every time you know a famous person or an institution or a newspaper gets it wrong, it is very 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 rare that they come out and say, you know what, we got this wrong. Let's do a better job they just don't they just don't do it maybe they can't their shareholders their reputations they're 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 afraid they're ashamed i don't know but it's that's why we just have to be more and more careful and we have to as i've said on this podcast before often the stories that i want to write are the ones where everybody's reporting it in a certain way and i look and i go that just doesn't it doesn't make sense like we we have to look at it different i i never heard of this guy so i couldn't i i didn't i didn't look into it but i'm going to pay more attention now as we uh, go forward to this story and to others.
0: Speaking of moral complication, we watched a oh. docu-series on HBO. Oh, it man. is wow. fascinating. Wow.
1: I You know, it's funny because I was watching it and I thought it was interesting. Maybe like drew like a few scenes out a little too long and then bingo. Oh, hello. Shall we take a dog leg turn here, which was kind of in front of our face the entire time? I mean- Gosh, it's, it's, it's worth watching. It's three hours. It's called Savior Complex. Um, do you want to tee us up for this, Sarah? Or do you yeah, want to... yeah, okay. sure.
0: This is by the director, Jackie Jesko. Um, And so this Savior Complex tells the story of a woman named Renee. Uh, she grows up in Virginia, homeschooled, missionary, family, Baptist. And at 19 years old, she gets this is how she would describe it, called by God um, to serve in Uganda. She goes off to Uganda. I don't think she's ever been outside the country and she just goes to Uganda. I mean, it's really quite an astonishing story. She becomes involved in the missionary community there. Um, She eventually starts running a place called Serving His Children. Now they start out just feeding kids near the town of Jinja, um, you know, which is near a lot of these you know, kind of mud hut villages. And she's just serving them food, right? They're just lined up. Uh, She's being funded by with money from her church. And, you know, meanwhile, she's also like writing her little blog back home about working in in uh, Uganda. And that's that's bringing in money. And it starts out, you know, as a pretty like simple, we're just going to get food to these people. But but what happens is, uh, a couple of these kids come in, um, they they find out that this white woman is running this place. And, you know, the Ugandan uh, hospitals are are stressed, stressed beyond stressed. You know, I think there's like some, I can't remember. There's also, by the way, there's also a New Yorker piece about this by Ariel Levy uh, that ran in 2020 that I read that was really good. Um so we learned that about, you know, 90% of the the people that are waiting in these Ugandan hospitals, like don't get care. And so at some point, three kids come to uh, this woman Renee's care and they're suffering severe malnutrition and it kind of opens up our eyes to this problem that like, that like, oh my God, I've just been like feeding these kids. But like, there is this greater thing that if some of these like severely new malnutru- n- n- Malnourished kids don't get help, they're going to die, and so she starts ramping up her efforts, you know. And what this tracks is her kind of increasingly stepping into a role of a licensed medical professional without having any of that training. And as the demand increases, and as her profile increases, and I think you know, as her ego for being able to save these kids and be able to do things that the the uh, Ugandan hospitals might not be able to do, like she is getting in over her head. Um, one of the things that, you know, becomes a complicating factor is when, uh, you know, they start getting these, um, these uh, volunteers that come in. She gets a volunteer named Jackie who is um, from, you know, she's just graduated from nursing school and, you know, they come out there like, Oh, we're going to save the world. Like we're going, she and her husband are going out there. Um, they're going on this missionary trip and they get there and it's like the reality, like really doesn't match what they thought. And they start seeing like some really deeply disturbing things. I mean, basically there's like this ICU that's been set up and there is uh, the way that Renee is running this place doesn't really line up with what Jackie has been taught. And we start to realize that the way that she has been treating these children may in fact be accidentally killing them. Uh, this revolves around an idea called refeeding syndrome, which is the idea that once you introduce IVs into somebody that has severe malnourishment, um, if you if you give them too much liquid too soon, you can shut down their organs. Um, you know, Jackie takes this up with Renee and Renee says, look, I'm doing God's work. And and this is a running theme here, you know, is that whenever there is questions like, you know, Renee feels as though she is doing the work of God and that makes her kind of unassailable. Um, At some point, we also get the involvement of an activist group called No White Saviors. So
1: we should just back up one second. So she started um, saving his children in 2009, just so we we have a little timeline here. And um, I think that uh, No White Saviors came in at around 2018, I believe they started to... um, see what was going on this is a an an organization that is been basically spearheaded by two people one a woman named kelsey nielsen who had been like renee had been a missionary and actually uh in africa and did know renee and knew the work that she did she had done some done some of this herself but with different organizations we should also say i was trying to look up the number of ngos uh non-governmental organizations just in um in Uganda alone, I came across this very weird stat that said there had been 14,000, but then the government did something and it's down to 2,100. I don't know if they recategorized them or if they kicked some of them out, but I can tell you in South Africa alone, there are more than 100,000, okay? More than 100,000 non-governmental organizations. Most of them, or many, many of them, missionary-based from the United States. So we should leave that. So, So Kelsey Nielsen is one of these people she winds up working co-co-founding this organization with a woman named Olivia Alaso who is a black uh missionary or social worker from Nigeria. She's a social
0: worker, yeah, from Nigeria. From Uganda. Oh, Nigeria. They, Nigeria. Thank you.
1: Nigeria, yeah. And they they basically want to come in and, you know, stop. Now, this is 2018. Let's remember. Okay. We are having, we are starting racial reckoning and we want to do a better job. I mean, they call it no white saviors. I mean, let's, it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious what they want to do. They want to have, you know, more having Africans be more autonomous, not be told what to do, not have their stories told by the missionaries and also not have children experimented on, which is what it appeared to, um, to Kelsey that, Renee Bach was doing. Now, it's complicated. Let's let's just step back a second. Is Renee Bach a sympathetic figure? Well, yes and no. She's 19. She goes over. And I thought the, the documentary made a really good point of saying, you know, a lot of these people that go over, including Jackie, who was young, freshly out of nursing school, are young white women who go to Africa in order, well, first of all, to do the Lord's work that they believe in and that they are really obligated to do as followers of Christ, right? Right but also they gain an identity there. They gain an identity of being super helpful and saving children's or saving people's lives an identity that they would not have easy access to necessarily in the United States or feel that they don't, you know, maybe they're 23 and they're evangelical. Maybe their path is a little more set out for them and it's not going to come with sort of the, the sort of intrigue or daring or help that they might want to do. And I'm not saying they do this um for nefarious reasons. They don't. I think they go over there really wanting to help. But these are also very young people that don't, for the most part, know what they're doing. And this was the case with 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 Renee Bach. Now we also have to say it started with three children. All of a sudden there are hundreds of children. Yeah. And you are now looked at by people that are coming who are desperate. A lot of people that it is stressed, do not read, do not write, are quite poor, and their children are sick or dying. Now, if your child is sick or dying, you are going to go, I would think, any place that you believe you might get care for this child. They were willing and probably, and and as some people say in the me, very grateful for, for Renee Bach's care because it was something, I, I think it was uh, something like eight out of nine children survived.
0: Right. So that like 900 children go through this facility in the five years that it's open for different and reasons, not just for receiving. different reasons. Yeah. That's right. Um, a hundred of them die. Now that is a shocking number. And when you see it as, you know, uh, an organization like white saviors might, might, put it up there, you know, like she killed a hundred people. I mean, it's... it's. Hello, Smokin'
1: We've them listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Heppler. Sarah Heppler, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little... Uh, interim moment for you. Um, We're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeumpodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week. Plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeumpodcast.substack.com. Thanks.